Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning. So, here's the plan. Three points, followed by seven, after six addendums. Um, I taught at the women's group on Thursday, and I had a blast. And they brought all these treats. It was like, I'm going to leave looking like Jabba the Hutt when you're done with me. (laughs) So two more pounds. And I prepared an Ecclesiastes teaching in chapter 11 and 12. And I assembled it, and clear as day, the Lord was leading me that this was for Sunday. I said, okay, God. <laughs> so I thought, well, let me do Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2 for the women's group, and then we'll do 11 and 12 on uh, uh, today. And I finished my Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, and that was very clear that that was also for Sunday. And then he had me do something in Luke 19 for the women, which worked out, but... So here's the point. We're going to take a two-ish week break from Revelation, and we're going to do a broad overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of the reasons I feel like this is so important, because Ecclesiastes is a book about faith and wisdom. And right now we're living in an age of faithlessness and foolishness. So we certainly can use some faith and wisdom here. Um, and when I started this endeavor, I had no idea what I, what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I realized there's a lot of barnacles on this text that I had to scrape off this morning. So here's the plan. We're going we're gonna to make sure we spend a good bit of our time understanding what Solomon is saying. And then today at the end and, and uh, next Sunday, we're going to spend a lot of time applying what Solomon is saying. We have much more application. So I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to read two chapters. So this is a miracle. (laughs) The book Solomon, uh, the the, the book uh, Ecclesiastes, is written by a man named Solomon. For those of you that may not know, he was called in the Bible, so by God, the smartest, the wisest man who ever lived. So this book is categorized as wisdom literature written by the wisest man who ever lived. So if you want wisdom, not so many uh, bumps and bruises, you're going to want to study this book. And that's what we're planning on doing today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Of course, this is Solomon. He was the son of David and he was the king of Jerusalem. Verse 2. And this is where we have to start scraping barnacles off. <laughs> Vanity. That Hebrew word there is called is Havel. So I'm going to read it in Hebrew. Havel, Havel, says the preacher. Havel, Havel, all is Havel. Or Havel. Right off the bat, we have to see that for some reason, and I don't know why, many people who seek to understand or explain the book of Ecclesiastes They tend to villainize Solomon here. Have you heard this? 
They make Solomon a bitter cynic. You ever read Ecclesiastes and go, someone said to me this morning, they go, oh boy, Ecclesiastes is a real bummer, right? Oh, pointless, pointless. Everything's pointless. So they make Solomon a bitter cynic. And they, every, and they, this guy's just going, everything's pointless. Everything's meaningless, meaningless, which I'm about to contest is not what Havel means. Or many portray Solomon as speaking to unbelievers in order to convince pagans and unbelievers of the futility of their own worldview. So many teachers they, uh, or, or books, they change the address of this work to unbelievers. Has anyone heard this? And that's why Solomon is saying all of life is pointless and meaningless. What he means is outside of God. So this is an apologetics work. The problem with that is verse 1. <laughs> Solomon introduces himself as a pastor, uh, not as a sinner, not, not, as, not as repentant, but as a pastor, as, as the convener, the shepherd of Jerusalem. This letter to, is a letter to Jerusalem. Who's Jerusalem? God's people. This is not to unbelievers. Now, many people portray Solomon as having a lapse of faith here, has abandoned God temporarily in this work. He's at the bottom of a barrel of rum somewhere. You know, they make him, they portray him like Captain Jack Sparrow from the Pirates movie, you know. Oh. Uh, and he's in need of repentance, and he, this is his ode to uh, repentance. But None of that's implied in verse 1. Again, Solomon calls himself the preacher. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, Solomon shows that he's a godly preacher. So the book is written to the godly flock by the godly shepherd, which changes a lot of how this book is explained. And here's what I'm getting at. If we come to this book already assuming that Solomon is in a bad place or came from a bad place or is writing to a bad people, we are, of course, are going to assume the negative meaning of that word, havel, as meaning vanity or meaningless. And again, this has become almost the dogmatic view in our day, which I do not understand, uh, because studying church history, this has not always been the case. There's been lots of different opinions on the table when you study the fathers and the patristic fathers and even some of our reformers. Uh, and so this is just the widely accepted view today. Now, if we take verse one at face value, and we've got a little bit of groundwork to do here, so bear with me. This Havel that, that, that many take as meaningless or vanity, whatever this Havel means, it comes from verse 1 from a wise, godly, kingly leader preacher. And this book of wisdom is the wisdom that results, as Solomon lays out, from a mature, experienced man of faith. So whatever this wisdom is, it extends from that. He's not on a two, he's, Solomon is not after a two-month drunken bender when he writes this story. Uh, he, he's not in the throngs of sin. Again, this was written by a godly preacher to God's people. So what does the word havel mean? Now, if, if, if you have an ESV today and, or a NASBA or a King James, you see that word vanities. Uh, if you have an NIV or an NLT, you have the word meaningless. If you have the message, it says smoke. <laughs> if you have the CEB, the CJB, or the Good Word Bible, it says pointless. If you have the Holman or the CSB, it says futility. If you have the Good News Bible, it says useless. There's a lot of different ways to unpack this word. And as, I, as I'll lay out and defend this whole teaching, that word havel most literally means vapor. 
when you study what rabbis and, and Hebrew scholars, they unpack this. It's very clear. It's vapor is what this word most literally means. And many Bible translators, instead of just saying vapor and letting the reader figure out what Solomon means by vapor, they put down useless or, or, or vanity, uh, uh, the, the vanity of vapor, the uselessness of vapor. And by doing that, what are they actually doing is giving commentary on what they think vapor means. But what we really need is a literal translation. A literal reading of verse 2 is vapor of vapor, says the preacher. Vapor of vapor, all is vapor. The imagery of this word is as a... You ever breathe on a cold morning? and That's what this means. It, 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 it's a mist. It's a vapor... Uh, it's a fog, it's a smoke. And in a way, can't you understand how they make that jump to saying meaningless? There's no real lasting value to a puff of breath, is there? (laughs) There's no real lastingness in vapor. But again, that's what the word says in Hebrew, vapor. It's breath, smoke, mist, fog. Uh, It's for a fleeting moment and gone. In every instance, it doesn't last. So here's what I'm proposing. The word havel does not mean that life is meaningless. (laughs) Solomon is not saying meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. (laughs) He's not saying vanity, vanity. This is all useless things. And just think about it logically. If Solomon wrote this book to give us faith and wisdom, and every few sentences he felt the need to remind us that life, work, knowledge, hard work is all pointless, then what's the point of the book? You should study hard, but it's pointless. <laughs> you should be a good parent, but it's, but it's pointless. <laughs> you, should, you should enjoy the things of God, but what's the point? Oh, pointless, pointless, pointless. That's how many people read the book, and you walk away going, boy, this is a bummer. Certainly doesn't seem wise or, or faithful, and uh, this is certainly not how the wise person, if you ran into a saint and they were like, oh, life is pointless, wouldn't you correct them? No, it's not. We have Christ. We have mission. What do you mean life is pointless? And this is not how a man or a woman of faith would talk. Remember, we're told in the scriptures to not never grieve as if we have no hope. This is, this is against what God teaches throughout the Bible. So in order to make this vanities fit, they have to make Solomon a cynic or in sin. He's off here. But again, this violates verse 1 and the conclusion in chapter 12. This is not what I, he, he, he's saying. So I'm asserting that Havel means something much more beautiful than useless and meaningless and vanity. Havel most literally means that everything is smoke. Everything is mist, vapor. And throughout this book and in this context, and here it is, this is what we've been working towards. The point of the vapor is to explain to the reader, to us, Here's the faith and the wisdom you're supposed to walk away from with, is that you are not God. Man is not God. Man cannot gather the wind, the vapor in his fist. But who can? God can. (laughs) Man cannot know and control all things, can we? It's a mist. But God can. The word vapor seems strongly to mean that man cannot grasp the things in life that are vapor, but God can. 
This book does not point to the futility or meaninglessness of man's life. It's quite the opposite. This book of wisdom and of faith instructs us to enjoy God. To enjoy and obey and trust God over and over and over again. What's the point of Solomon telling us to enjoy if everything's enjoyless? Doesn't make sense. He's telling us to enjoy, uh, uh, joy, obey, and trust God over and over again uh, in the vapors of life. The things we can't control anyways. (laughs) You ever found yourself in a really bad situation? And at some point you go, God... You gotta bail me out of this. I don't know what else to say. There's wisdom. That's what Solomon's getting at. I was talking to Mike today, Mike Baker. He said, you know, he was, he was going through something and he, and he, 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 he resolved that God was the one that was gonna have to get him out of it. <laughs> That's wisdom. All through this book, Solomon points to man's inability and then encourages us, instructs us to rest in God's ability. The book from the wisest man who ever lived is about coming into the wisdom of God's absolute sovereignty. (laughs) That God is in control. You want a strong faith? You want to be a wise person? Know that God is on the throne and you are not. That's what Havel means. You do not control the mist, family. God does. Solomon is open in verse 1 that these words come from the godly pastor king to the godly, to us. And he then opens by saying, vapor, vapor, says the preacher. Vapor of vapors, all is vapor. That ultimately, nothing in our life is grabbable. Nothing in your life is controllable. That's Solomon's position. Nothing man has is in his sovereign control. But it is in God's. And that is the wisdom of this book. Now, Solomon now is going to spend 12 chapters systematically laying out this point. That, that, this, that, that the mature man and woman of God, of faith, recognizes, lives in the reality of the fact that God is ultimately in charge. He alone, Proverbs 30, verse 4, that's a very important verse. He alone can hold the wind in his fist. He controls the vapor. Verse 3, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? You ever find yourself at work and you're just working and working and it's like, what is the point of this? So I can make some person in a suit a few more millions? What is the point of this? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Solomon points out that men and women have children. And that is not pointless now, is it? Are your kids pointless? Of course not. Are they useless? Well, don't answer that question. (laughs) This is not a useless fact of life. No, what Solomon means is is Havel, vapor. That all things that men make are ultimately transitory. All things that men and women make and leave behind, they come and go. But who is eternal? God. Again, this whole book is pointing to the fact that God is ultimately in charge. 
He is sovereign and we are not. This book, is not this book the antithesis of man's wisdom? You can be like God. You can master your own destiny. <laughs> the wisest man who ever lived said, that's foolishness. That's the opposite of wisdom. Now verses 4 through 7 points this out. That what, is there, what, what, uh, what, that what is there to show for all of earth's movements, life under the sun? What, what is there to show, as we're going to read in, in verse 5 soon, uh, what, what is there to show from all of these constant repeating cycles? Have you noticed every day of your life you wake up and the sun rises? <laughs> and every day you go to bed and the sun sets? <laughs> and what has man built that's lasted that long? What has man done that lasts, that fixed in the cosmos? What is so fascinating about traveling, I I love to travel. Does anyone else love to travel? It's fun. But one of the fun things about traveling, especially to ancient cities, is you get to walk on all the rubble that used to rule the world. (laughs) Everything that man tries to make ends. It ends. It is... Havel, it's vapor, it doesn't last. And the cycle of man's efforts, it just repeats, repeats, it repeats. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Like men, the sun goes round and round and round, day after day, no real change. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind. And and on its circuits, uh, the wind returns. The wind, like men, come and go. It's on a repeating cycle. Verse 7, all streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. They will flow again. So Solomon lays out that the earth is on an endless cycle. Generations come and go. You know this generation's going to go, don't you? And in a few hundred years, a few thousand years, if the Lord's tarries, there's going to be a bunch of new people standing here. Probably not here, but somewhere around here, on the rubble that was here. Generations come and go, streams come and go, wind come and goes. And here's the point, verse 8. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. But what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Do you see it? Nothing man makes is eternal. It's havel, it's breath. We build and it crumbles. We give new life. I have two beautiful, wonderful, crazy children if you want to borrow them for a few days. They're three and five. And every day I wake my three-year-old up, he immediately attacks me. Every day he attacks me. And they're so full of life, but one day they're going to be old and brittle. We give birth to new life, and eventually that life dies. Like a river running into the ocean. You ever watch a river or stream, and it's just roaring by? Solomon's almost looking at that going, well, that's going to end up in the ocean, and then it's going to rain. And it's going to be right back to where it started. (laughs) It never stops over and over and over again. Verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? 
It has been already. It is in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after us. People are going to forget about you. It's going to happen. All those people you were so desperate to impress, they're all going to die. <laughs> now again, it's easy, isn't it, to come to the conclusion that Solomon's saying, well, this is all pointless. But please, don't misunderstand it. And I'm not beating up people that hold that view, but Solomon over and over and over again in the course of this book uh, is building a case, again, that ultimately God is the one in charge. He is sovereign and we are not. And so far in the first 11 verses, Solomon has pointed out that from all of man's desires, from all of man's efforts, from all of, all of the sweat of our brows, which I do just sitting sometimes, we, we ultimately change nothing. We control nothing. We succeed in manipulating nothing. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, the Bible tells us. And this is life under the sun. Now we have to come to a conclusion here. Is Solomon the preacher telling God's people that all of this is pointless and useless? Or is he telling us something else? Again, I would say that Solomon is not saying, what's the point to life? <laughs> The wisdom of this book is that Solomon is laying out the mindset of a faithful believer. He's giving us wisdom on how to think about life as wise and faithful. And he's telling us, he's instructing us on how to think that from all of our human efforts, we are not in charge. God is. Life to man is a vapor, but God is sovereign over the vapors of life. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Solomon is now giving his credentials. You know, this is not quite as compelling if it's coming from, uh, you know, I, not to be coarse, but a, a homeless person. What resources do they have? This is coming from the king. He's saying, if anyone has had the resources to build something eternal, isn't it me? If anyone has had the resources to have true joy or true wisdom, then the wise king good. But he can't. Why? Because he's not God. Verse 13, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And did you see it? Solomon's first task uh, was to seek wisdom. And then Solomon says essentially, but wisdom is something that ultimately who gives it? God. God gives the children of Adam their wisdom. Man does not find it. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is havel and is striving after the ruach, the wind. Uh, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I Perceived that this also is but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Now, later, almost paradoxically, 
not quite. Solomon lays out that increasing in wisdom increases us in joy. So what is it, Solomon? <laughs> do I get sad when I learn more or do I get happy when I learn more? And the answer is context. <laughs> Solomon is laying out here that man striving for wisdom. Man's pursuit of wisdom and knowledge comes ultimately to sorrow, like trying to grab the wind. What Solomon, he's building a case for is that true wisdom and knowledge is a gift from God and not something that man can acquire solely by his own efforts. Have you ever met really intelligent fools before? <laughs> That's what this is talking about. And if you've, if you've ever been around a lot of intellectuals, they're often very angry and vexed and sad. Again, God's sovereignty is on full display here because later he's going to introduce us to the wisdom that God gives and it fills us with delight. Now, chapter two, and I've earned myself a coffee break. Mm. Oh, man. I need a more manly lid, but this, is, this works. <laughs> oh, vanity of vanities. <laughs> Chapter 2, Solomon is continuing his pursuit to see if anything that man can do with his hands has lasting value. I'm going to build something that sticks. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, with enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity, was vapor. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it to the king? with his endless resources, tried to produce joy and laughter within himself, but after a while, he couldn't sustain it. You ever have a great dinner? You ever just have a really kicking dinner? Big steak, potatoes with bacon on it, <laughs> twice baked, double fried, and with sugar on top, and a bottle of wine, or what do you know, or water if you're Baptist, or whatever it is, and you... <laughs> You just, you're leaving, you got to roll yourself out of the, you know, into bed. It's just one of those things. And you wake up and what are you? Hungry. <laughs> All of his resources, he could not make it last. Verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. Oh, there goes that theory that he's in sin. And how to lay hold of folly till I might see what is good. And here he's laying out that wine is, unless you're Baptist, it's all sin. But wine can either be good or bad. Till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He says man's life is but a few days. Solomon now changes his pursuit. And is done chasing knowledge and pleasure. He realized it was vapor he couldn't grab. And now he chases production and joyful society and culture making. Have you known of people that have desperately desired to make a utopia? You know, we, we're seeing that a little bit right now in the city of Austin. They're trying to make a utopia in Austin with the arts and freedom. And now it's filled with homeless people. But they're trying their... Their best. And so Solomon says, I'm going to make Jerusalem the coolest, most hopping city in the world, and that will make me happy. 
<laughs> also notice too, all the garden imagery in the first three verses. It's almost as if he tries to take Jerusalem back to Eden. Verse four, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves uh, who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. I delighted of the sons of man, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my hard work. And he says he found pleasure. Ah, finally. Making good culture was the key to grasping the wind. But he's about to point out it didn't last. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done to, to the toil I had exp expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vapor and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. That word gain there, it, it means in Hebrew leveraged. I leveraged nothing. He couldn't leverage himself outside of being a human, which was all is vapor. That all things, life under the sun, it's transitory. That beautiful city of Jerusalem, he knew one day was going to be a big old pile of rocks. And when we went to Israel, that it was. Piles of rocks that they, someone had paved and built the falafel shop on top of. <laughs> now he tries not just learning wisdom, but living wisdom. Verse 12, so I can turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. I can't do anything new. It's already been done. Then I saw that there was there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. Now this is a really applicable note, especially to young people. Solomon observes, you're going to have a much better life by being wise than being foolish. <laughs> Again, if this is all what's the point, well, then live however you want and hope God's cool with you in the end. But what he's saying is there's a better way to live even though one day you're going to die. But there's a better way to live until you die, and that's in faith, in the light. Verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Guess what? We're all going to die. The wise and the foolish, we're all going to die. But how we live that life is very different. But in the end, the outcome's the same. Verse 15, that's out of the judgment, of course. But I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Again, notice he's not saying he's being foolish. This isn't a man in sin. 
What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also uh, is Havel, uh, Havel, vapor for, uh, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. You're not going to be remembered. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise, die, wise dies just like the fool. Verse 17, so I hated life. Ever been there? I hated life. I lost my job. I got COVID and I kicked the dog this morning. You know, I hate life. I hated life because of what was what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. All things under the sun is vapor. It's wind to mankind. It cannot be seized, cannot be tamed or ultimately controlled. And now Solomon has another idea. Maybe you know someone like this. He decides to bury himself in his work. You ever try that? He buries himself in his work. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the men who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be, a ma- be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. And this also is vapor and a great evil. Solomon knows... No matter what he builds, it will eventually crumble. But before it crumbles, it'll go to somebody who will eventually see that it crumbles. (laughs) If you leave behind $10 trillion, and you can leave me some of that, that's okay. (laughs) And you get a new car, and you get a new car. Um, The pastor Oprah. Uh, Eventually, you're going to give it to somebody. And maybe, maybe, you're, maybe the person you give it to is incredibly wise. And they're not frugal and they do appreciate it. But then they have to give it to somebody. And then they have to give it to somebody. And then they, what's the point? It's vapor. You can't control where your resources are ultimately end up. Because eventually, a fool will get it. Now, this doesn't mean we don't work hard. This doesn't mean we don't take care of our kids. Of course we work hard. Of course it's godly to leave an inheritance. But eventually, if this is your God, it's vapor. Eventually it fades away. Verse 22, For what has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart for which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Now, The book of Ecclesiastes, this is helpful, is broken up into four sections. Today we just walked through section one. Uh, And now verse 24 and through 26 gives gives us uh, the first of Solomon's four conclusions. So starting at verse 24 is is the conclusion to the first of four parts. And this is the last of our reading. We're not going to keep going and really lock in here. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person, you ready, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work, his toil. 
Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, has now given us his first of four conclusions. And he starts by telling us, enjoy God. Enjoy what God has provided. You got food at home? Enjoy it. You got drink at home? Enjoy it. You, you've, you've worked hard and your lawn's mowed and you want to sit there on your rocker with a glass of sweet tea? Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has provided. Verse 24 gives us so much clarity as to what he's been saying with Havel, with vapor in this book. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Did you see it? Did you see how Havel is not pointless? He just told us, What he's been saying this whole time, he summarizes it. Listen to the conclusion. That all of this toiling in verses 22 and 23 is pointless. It's it's, 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 not pointless, it's vapor. It's, It's striving after the wind. But then he says, but you know what? Enjoy what you have. And what you have is from God. Solomon has said in the strongest terms that everything in life under the sun is vapor, that man cannot control it, will not be totally satisfied by it. We cannot manipulate or command our own destiny or even hold the vapor, but God can. And God, who holds all things, he's a giver. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 and 25, Solomon's conclusion. Man cannot hold anything by himself, but God grabs things for us and places it in our hands to enjoy. This is what Solomon's first conclusion is. Solomon's logic is this. I cannot enjoy work in a meaningful way in and of myself, in my humanity, but God can enable me, allow me to enjoy work and food and drink in a meaningful way as a gift. Solomon's trying to teach us, this is the wisdom and the faith that a mature man and woman of God needs, that we need to enjoy the gifts of God, the good things that you have while you have them, because they're vapor. They will disappear. You like a good steak now? Well, one day your teeth are going to be too old to eat it. (laughs) Enjoy what you have while God provides it. Verse 26 goes on to say, "For For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. These three things, wisdom, knowledge, and joy, Solomon's already laid out in chapter 1 and 2, that they are havel, that they are vapor to man. Man can't grab wisdom, knowledge, or joy. But the believer can receive it from the giving God. And we can enjoy it when he places it in our hands. And what God gives us, what God puts in our hands, the the faithful, the wise. You know what the appropriate response is when God gives you a good gift? Say thank you. (laughs) Be grateful and enjoy it. 
Enjoy what God has provided. And Solomon concludes in the last of our reading, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is, is a vapor and a striving after the wind. And here's the conclusion. The ungodly sinner never comes to the wisdom that God's in control, which means they spend the rest of their lives grabbing mist. Restlessness, restlessness. All is restlessness to the unbeliever. Which is why I believe you see so many bitter old people. Because they haven't controlled life the way that they wanted to. And they never will be able to. So quickly, here's what I want to leave you with. Biblical wisdom is not about being able to grab the wind. (laughs) Vapor. You know, some people, they act like they have an anointing and they have hidden wisdom. I have the magic phone to God, and he will tell me what we must do, men. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in his book of faith and wisdom that acquiring wisdom does not give you leverage over life. Does not give you mastery over life. Do you you not have life figured out? Congratulations, you're human. (laughs) And if you've resolved that and go, God's in control, that's wisdom. Being wise does not mean you have a telephone right to God. And he gives you secret insight to your problems. No, this book Solomon lays out, I believe plainly that the wise and faithful man or woman of God, like Solomon in today's text, need to live and learn in the reality of two things. Here we go. First, we are not God. Man living his life under the sun has no control over what's coming next. You can leave here today and get in a car accident and you can't stop it. (laughs) We are all in a type of vapor and fog in this life. And the sinner, the sinner, the foolish, cannot accept this reality, but tries to lay hold of the vapor and master it and conform it. And of course, this is futile. But the godly, the wise, learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Solomon opens this book of wisdom by saying, let God handle the things you can't, which, surprise, surprise, is everything. (laughs) All is vapor to us. Now, this is not an excuse to check out, well, God's got me. (laughs) You know, we're also told to work hard and to take care of our health, You smoke six packs of cigarettes a day and eat nothing but Twinkies, you're going to die early. It's going to (laughs) happen. We need to take care of our health and our finances. Some people spend, 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 and then they're shocked when there's not money left over. And then God needs to bail them out. No, get off Amazon. You know, there's things, there's a way to live wise. We need to live wise. But in the end, to the believer, the faithful and the wise... Our peace is not in our ability to control life, but the rest in the fact that our Father, our God, is in control of life. Now, the second thing that the wise and the faithful Solomon's laying out, the secondly, is that God is a giver. And he gives his people things to toil and work with and enjoy. And the reality is, we all have things we're holding, don't we? Aren't we all responsible for something 
Like if you've got an animal, you're, if you don't feed it, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to become lunch, right? Like you, there's things you need to take care of and be responsible for. We all have work, we toil, and what Solomon is telling the wise, the faithful today, is that the, the, the things that you have in your hands today, they may be gone tomorrow. You just do not know. And so while you have good things in your hands, Enjoy them. Enjoy the things that God has gifted and provided you with today while he continues to provide them. If God has given you health, enjoy the health that you have. (laughs) If God has blessed you in your work, enjoy the blessings of that work. Enjoy what, what you have, for it is a gift. And Solomon provides three specific examples here that the believer should specifically enjoy, and that's food and drink and the, uh, and the fruit, the, the good of his toil, of his efforts. And so as we close today, I would like to encourage you, take a step back and observe what God has laid in your hands today and enjoy them. Next week, we're going to see that death and sickness and pain is inescapable to all who live life under the sun. We're all going to die. It's appointed that all men should die. But the wise preacher says that this is not a reason to stop living. This is all the more reason to enjoy the health that you have while you have it. That there is nothing better for a godly person to do. Do you want to be a man or woman of great faith and wisdom who stands before God on judgment day and hear those glorious words, well done, good and faithful servant? I do. Then enjoy what he's given you. That's wisdom. Enjoy the things that he's given you. There's nothing better for a godly person to do than to essentially be grateful for all that God has gifted us with, while he has gifted it to us. And so Solomon is instructing us to be faithful and wise, and he starts by telling us, take a step back, observe what God has provided you with, even if it's not a lot, even if you have a little bit. I hold less vapor than the other person next to me. You still got vapor that you shouldn't be holding anyways. (laughs) Well, I want a boat. Well, you don't have one, you know. God's given you what you can handle. Observe, take a step back, observe what God has provided you with, and realize according to the Bible that is a gift and enjoy it. Enjoy what he has placed in your hand because you can't grab it by yourself. And if it's there, he's given it to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom and faith. We we thank you for the things that you give us. We thank you for the things that you give us that don't quickly disappear. How many people have died in age one, two, three, four, yet here we are. You've gifted us life this many years. What a blessing. God, you've gifted us a place to know your name and worship you. What a blessing. You've placed us in a a country where we own Bibles. What a blessing. You are a giver. And ultimately, we know that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. 
the thing that you put most closely in our hand is your own boy, that he may redeem the lost. And so, God, thank you for this book. Thank you for who you are and how you operate. Thank you that you are the God most high and there is none beside you. Thank you that you are not like us, (laughs) that you are other than. And God, if you may mature us to understand that you are on the throne. When we get angry, remind us that you are on the throne. When we get jealous, Remind us that you are on the throne. When we are bitter, remind us that you are on the throne. Help us to be wise and faithful, we do pray. And God, we ask that if anyone needs prayer, that they may receive it over here by the side door. Please pray with them. God, we pray for those in here that are sick, that you may heal them and While you have provided health, help them to enjoy it. But we do ask for miracles. We do ask for healings, of course. So God, you are a giver, God. We thank you for your gifts. And God, we ask for more that we may glorify you. And all who agreed said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.